I saw Shazam this weekend. Oh, yeah? Yeah, dude. And it was surprisingly good. Like, if DC does this, I'm on board. Yeah, I mean, it did, like, the previews did make it look like a good, entertaining, fun watch. Yeah, it was. Well, it was kind of bipolar, and if you get stuck in that, if you let that pull you out, it could could be hard because it's actually kind of scary. So okay. We had to take the girls, and so there was some parts in there where Brooklyn was actually, like, freaking out because it was super scary. But then, oh. but then it would be super silly. So it's kind, yeah. of, kind of bipolar, but <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And even Kristen at the end, she's like, I really enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. So nice. Yeah. If DC keeps that, they're still not on par with Marvel. Like, and you can no. tell the CG wasn't even close to Marvel's. It, gotcha. Just, they can't compete there, but at least they'll be in the conversation after that. Well, and like realistically, when you start off as far behind as they have, as they've gotten in the movie universes and stuff, like it's almost like don't worry about that and instead just focus on, hey, you know what would be nice? What if our movies were fun? Yeah, what if people you. actually enjoyed going to them yeah. and we didn't treat it like we had to? Whatever Marvel has done, now we've got to come up with our own version of it. Agreed. And I, I'm kind of okay with DC being a little bit darker and grittier. Because sure. DC World is just a little bit darker and grittier. But yeah, that's fair. The problem is, is that Zack Snyder was painting everything black and that's depressing. You know, dark, that's not right. dark and gritty. That's terrible directing, actually. That's I need a hug. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. OK, so welcome to the podcast, everybody. We are hello, hello. nerding out here a little bit or I'm nerding out a little bit. And my fans. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't fully participate. Yeah. But Well, we got we got early access. So it doesn't, nice. it doesn't come out for like another two weeks or something. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't, I don't know how Kristen made that happen, but she did. Look at you all connected and stuff. I know, right? I know somebody. <laughs> Actually, I have no I, idea. I know I somebody know. too. They just aren't any help. <laughs> so, uh, what was your uh, beverage experience this weekend? So, my mom's brother had a a stroke a while back, and he's recovering and doing really well uh, at this point now. But Good. so he's in like a group home and was finally able to. They were able to like bring him over to the house for a barbecue yesterday, so I went over for that. And someone who had visited had left behind the remnants of a six-pack of Sierra Nevada Tropical Torpedo. So like it's an IPA, Ooh. but like they threw in like passion fruit and mango and some other stuff and the flavoring on it. Sure. I was like, well, okay, I got to give that a shot. Let's see how this goes. And and honestly, like it wasn't it wasn't super strong on the fruity flavor, which was good, but it it kind of helped balance the hoppiness. I still probably would have preferred like just a regular IPA mm-hmm. or if they had picked a citrus flavor to go with, but it was cuz it was a little bit confused on the palate, but it was still pretty tasty. Like it didn't yes. hurt me drinking it right. by any stretch, but it's right. definitely not something I would go out and buy a sixer of either. Right, right. I hear that. I was at Bevmo, and so we get the $10 off $50 coupon, so it's like a 20% okay. off coupon, but only if you buy 50 so we buy exactly $50 because we're that cheap, <laughs> maximizing the there coupon. So I was at like $47, and I so I was just looking around for something to get me to 50 and there was a recommendation for, um, oh, poop, I don't know what it's called. Um, on the can, it's got Abraham Lincoln squeezing a blood orange uh it's like 21st amendment uh poop 
Anyway, if you see Abraham Lincoln squeezing an orange, that's the IPA I had this weekend. Uh, <laughs> okay. But it, it was – this one was crazy because it was like very, very citrusy. So it was a blood orange IPA and okay. it tasted just like a blood orange. Like it was an orange. It wasn't like a fake orange or a, anything like hints of citrus. It tasted like an orange, and then alcoholic uh, juice. It, well, it didn't have the like sugary smoothness of a juice. Like it, oh, okay. ta- it tasted literally more like the zest of a blood orange, or like actually biting the orange itself, where it's kind of tart. Whereas you know, okay. ju- juice has kind of been processed and pasteurized in the sugar. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It tasted more like the zest, and then even the hops in it—they were really. They were pretty light hops, actually, but even the hops felt like they had this, like, a brightness to them or, like, a citrusy hop, hoppiness as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And even even Kristen was, who is a very anti-hops, was like, wow, <laughs> that that actually is pretty good. She, she kept drinking it with me. Normally, when I open an IPA, she tries it, gives me a funny face, and then hands it back and doesn't <laughs> partake the rest of it. But this one, she, she was actually, okay sharing this one. Yeah, it was good because I had worked in the yard all day and that literally was the, it was super refreshing. Like I, like I didn't know I wanted it as much as I did once I had it. <laughs> That's always the best way to be surprised. Yeah, it was really unfortunate when it goes the other way. Yeah. I wish I could remember the name. It's in my Instagram, but I mean, honestly, there's not too many cans out there with Abraham Lincoln's face on them. So, I mean, it's literally. I would imagine Abraham Lincoln squeezing a blood orange. There's got to be just the one. (laughs) And it's like, it's not even like just Abraham Lincoln. It's like Abraham Lincoln that's carved into the mountain. Um, Oh, the Mount Rushmore? Yeah, like that. So he's like a mount. I don't know. If you see it, you'll (laughs) know what I'm talking about. All right. All right. I definitely, I would say it's worth checking out. It's very, very fruit, but it was interesting. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Oh, poop. You know what I forgot to do? No. I forgot to get us a beer fact. Um, uh I know. Slacker. So luckily I have the book right here in front of me. Have you ever heard of wild yeast before? Yes, I have. If you were to ask me for a definition of it, that's where I would have to pull back. But like, uh, I have heard that comment, that, that title, that branding of yeast i suppose yeah this i don't think is in line with what we've heard before like i've heard of people saying like oh that's a wild this or that and i'm like when i read no so i think uh wild yeast is supposed to be kind of like less kind of processed and controlled and so there's more variance in the the beer if you use it yeah so i don't know in this one they have wild yeast beer where they take the uh like the mixture and they just okay. they leave it in the pot and then they open the window and then oh, dang. the yeast from the world blows in through the window falls into the beer and then starts eating and pooping so which is what yeast does it processes in the the sugars and then out carbon dioxide and and uh, alcohol right it's in Deutschland or something but they just love uh, those crazy Deutsch, <laughs> which is German for the people who don't know. <laughs> uh, but they just let it blow in and then it eventually. But I think the processing time is like three months. I was going to say, it feels like it would take a while for you to get enough in there to really, really long time. So 
Huh. Okay, so random fact, there is a beer somewhere where they just open the window and it from and it gets the yeast that way. I'll do a better job. Old strategy, one. Cotton. Okay, so jump. Let's just jump into the topic then. Oh, I'm not prepared. All right, I'm good. I'm good. It's a Monday. It is for sure. All right. So our topic, if we were going to put it in a big subject line, would be faith versus works, which for anybody who has been in any sort of religious conversation ever has probably run into this. So in Christianity, though, we run into it a lot because there's, especially as we've been talking about Catholics and Protestants, there's, in my opinion, culturally, socially, uh, whether it's reality or not, I think is different, but they kind of tend to distinguish themselves culturally um, by not being the other one. And so Protestants can often be uh, seen or they tend to focus on salvation through faith alone. And then yeah. Catholics, people will say that, you know, they're very works focused. Of course, that's a very Protestant perspective because it's looking at this one and then at that one. Um, I don't have a whole lot of experience coming from inside the Catholic perspective there, actually. So well, fair uh, enough. why don't we just ask the big question of, okay, in Christianity, how are we saved? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, as is so often the case, it, it's kind of one of those yes and or uh, the Catholic both and. I like to refer to it as, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of times where when we're looking at things in religion, it we're given this kind of dichotomy and a lot of times it ends up being a false one where you've got to choose between these two things when the reality is it's these two things that need to be working together so mm -hmm. for example uh with the what we're talking about tonight how are we saved ultimately ultimately the answer is that we are saved by the free gift of grace offered to us by god yeah but at the same time what that actually means and what comes with that. Like there are, God did not create us to be automatons. Uh, he also created us with a free will that is supposed to carry meaning with it. And if that's going to be the case, then there have to be consequences to our choices as well. Yep. And so there is kind of an inherent expectation that if you are truly a follower of God, if you have truly accepted the grace he's offered for salvation, then there are certain works, certain acts you are to do. It's, you know, like a lot of times. Well, so some of the big ones are like we talk about the, the corporal works of mercy, the, the care for the physical needs of your brothers and sisters, you know, um, burying the dead, visiting the sick and imprisoned, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, all those kinds of things basically taken from that list where Jesus was separate, talking about separating the goats and the sheep. You know, that whole, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Whatever you don't do for the least of these, you don't do to me. Uh, those corporal works of mercy. In addition to that, Jesus definitely made very clear to his disciples that there's an expectation that they're to go and make disciples of all the nations, which can seem very intimidating until you think about what that actually means. It's when you find a band that you really like or a movie that you think is awesome, you don't feel like you're forcing your taste on other people and you tell them, oh my gosh, you really need to check this out. Right. And yet when we find what we believe or at least what we claim to be salvation and eternal happiness and joy forever with God in heaven, we're like, oh, do they really need to hear about this? And so I, those would be the types of things that I'm talking about primarily. 
there's also individual calls that are involved in that as well. Right, right. And I would have to be honest that I'm not good at a lot of that stuff. I'm not going to lie. Like, I mean, I've been in in Christianity forever, but Mm -hmm. poor ministry, like serving the poor and things like that, I have done it. I am not good at it. (laughs) It sounds stupid to say, like, that's something that you're not good at, but there are people who have that disposition that's just like they just love people no matter what. And it's not that I don't Mm -hmm. love them. It's just that I'm not a particularly warm and inviting person when I'm outside of my comfort zone. Okay. Does that make sense? So it's like if we put those things on there, I'm not good at most of that stuff. Well, no, no. So like here's the thing. What the specific details of how you're going to do that are are different. Like so I have very limited experience in prison ministry. Like it's just – it's not something I've done done much of or – as I'm sitting here thinking about it, probably any of. But there are the universal aspects of a call, but then there's also the response to this, the particular graces and gifts that God has given you and how you can use them. So, yeah, we're all called to, to care for the poor. For some people, that means they're going to be the ones who are, you know, serving food at the, the soup kitchen or, you know, providing care to the people who are out on the street and those kinds of things. And for other people, it'll be more like, you know, going down to St. Vincent de Paul society and helping them organize the food on the shelves that came into them because that's still a necessary part of serving them. Yeah. You're not getting the face to face time and those kinds of things, but you know, realistically, even like the big Thanksgiving Christmas pushes for donations to the, the food banks and those kinds of things. That's still you caring for the poor, right? not in the same way. And I wouldn't necessarily, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying they're equal or unequal to be totally fair. Right. I'm not, not confident I can right. judge, but at the same time, like it is still doing it. It comes down to doing it in your circumstances, in your life and the opportunities that are presented to you to do right. it. Right. Let me throw this idea at you really quick. All right. So I've been having this thought in my brain, preaching the word, whatever, is first internalized. Mm -hmm. So meaning faith, right, inside the individual, we internalize it, and that's where we kind of inside ourselves say, yes, I accept this, and I am embracing it. And then there is the secondary part, which would be the, I'm calling actualization, where you're manifesting it in the world. So there's the inner and then there's the outer and that there's an actual order of operations in which the inner takes place first then the outer, whether that happens within like a millisecond or whether it takes a couple of years for that person to take their internalization and then realize it out into the world. If there's something in between that stage between when they have it inside and then they start doing it outside, would they still be saved or not? Well, so again, ultimately salvation is a free gift given by God. Right. Like in a very real way, we were all saved the moment Christ died on the cross. Mm. Like he paid the price for our sins. We were saved at that point. Eternal life became available to us at the moment that Christ rose from the dead. And so our salvation is already an established fact, but that acceptance of it And that realization of it, because again, that idea that we've been given a free will, and so God does not force us to join him forever in heaven. He gives us the option to choose. But Jesus also says 
not everyone who cries out to me, Lord, Lord, shall be saved. So there's clearly something more than just saying it. It has to be a lived reality as well. But that's a growth process as well in terms of getting to how you live it. Right. That's kind of my thought, too, is, I mean, just looking back at myself, I mean, I've had periods of craziness, periods of not, you know, and it definitely started out one way, but the actualization of my faith in my life has been a process over the last 15 years. And I'm still, it's still coming along, you know? And so oh, of course. You got to rely on the fact that there is that salvation through the faith, but I think you're right that you have to, if you're not working it, then it's not, it's not there. And I would say that it is, for, for some people, the, the conversion actually happens almost in the reverse of that, though. People who see the problems going on in the world and feel obliged to get in and do something, and then in the process of doing that work, they come to the realization that, you know what, no, this is, this is grounded in something much bigger than what I had thought before. And so there can be that realization that comes through it. You know, there's that kind of humanitarian aspect of it. Right, that, right. That that recognition of the other leads to the recognition of the creator. So it can be both ways to a certain extent, but both need yeah. to happen. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, that whole idea from uh, the last battle in the Chronicles of Narnia, that idea of the, the unwitting Christian, the, unno- the person who unknowingly, uh, nevertheless, in spite of the fact that they had never seen or truly known Christ in life, they had been seeking him all along. And so when they came face to face with him in heaven, they knew exactly what they were going to choose. Dude, my whole understanding of the end times is completely based on the Chronicles of Narnia. I'm sorry. It's almost impossible for me to have a conversation about that topic without me citing that passage. It is the best description of it. Like I, I read it and I was just like, yes, yes. I now understand I'm good. (laughs) And I didn't even, I don't even study it anymore. Cause I'm like, that's, that's, I'm good with that. I'm good. Um, okay, so then some of the misconceptions, like one, I think I was looking into it from the Protestant side. You know, we there you hear a lot of the uh, once saved, always saved, you know, mm-hmm. faith alone, things like that. And I was looking into that, and, you know, my experience with that was always kind of an internal mantra, per se. You know, it was that, like, if you screw up, you're not going to hell, all right? Just... You're all right. But then there is an actual like the Calvinists actually had this crazy idea of like the predestination where there was only select people chosen. And yeah. And then if you were the idea that God created some people to go to hell. Yeah. And there might be still some staunch Calvinists along the Baptist line. But Mm -hmm. I don't know that very many reasonable people are going to follow that anymore. I think if you really start and you start chewing on it. Not that you're not saved by faith, but the way that Calvin followed that logic was most people would be like, yeah, I'm not going down that road. Sorry, pal, you're on your own. Well, and it's one of those things like it can be an idea that you agree with intellectually, I suppose, but it's not one you can actually like build a life around. Yeah, it breaks down. Like it, it's impossible to live your life as if you don't have free will, right. quite frankly, right. because – you would never be able to choose anything. It would just be this constant drifting through. So with the Protestants, they have that, they had that mantra where they were saying, easy pal, you screwed up, you're not going to hell, keep moving forward. 
Mm-hmm. How did Catholics do that? Because the people see Catholics as being, being a lot more on the on the work side and having to earn heaven, right? Well, that that is, and again, that would be just as big of a misconception. Just like very few Protestants would actually say, "Once saved, always saved." That therefore, I can go ahead and murder this person who I dislike, right? And everything is still fine. God's totally cool with that because yeah. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Similarly. Catholics are very keenly aware of the fact that the idea of earning our way to heaven is not a thing that we can do or can even really hope to do. It's a gift too big for us to possibly earn and merit. And so, but in terms of that idea of how do you not get completely consumed in that idea of, oh no, I've screwed up now, what am I going to do? The reality is, I would say that the once saved, always saved mantra to a certain extent becomes necessary because the Protestants don't have the sacrament of confession. Right. And so when there is no kind of guaranteed certain way to receive forgiveness for those mistakes, then you kind of have to lock, lock into an idea that is not quite frankly, even as a mantra, like it's not, particularly well scripturally founded like the idea of claiming jesus as your lord absolutely that is but like in romans paul talks about the idea of working out your salvation with fear and trembling yeah paul's hard because he, he'll say that and then he'll say you are predestined and chosen before birth you know like he's right he's tough of all the writers he's the hardest one to grasp because that dude is everywhere well kind of but at the same time like when you look at it so when he says you're predestined he has what's called single predestination, like everyone is predestined for heaven. But that's from the perspective of that's what we were created for. That is our Mm -hmm. destiny. That was the intended goal of our creation was to spend eternity with God. I've never thought of predestination in that way. Yeah. So like before we before we had our will, before we had the opportunity to choose, God destined us to be with him for eternity in heaven. And so realistically all we have to do is not get in the way which again comes back to the misunderstanding about works it's not that we're earning it it's that we're just trying to show that we actually want it right right <laughs> and i mean that's that's that this is a gift we desire yeah and you got to work it out i mean no matter what you're doing i mean if like you were saying with the band or the movie i mean if you were really into a band you can't say they're your favorite band and then never listen to the cd <laughs> right exactly you know like it does that doesn't make sense you cannot poser <laughs> oh, oh i hate that term only because <laughs> i was totally a poser most of my life because i always wanted to do things but i didn't out of fear and so i waited until yep. i was 30 and then i had to wear helmets when i was skateboarding <laughs> it got made fun of by kids yeah that's whatever well look i'm just gonna let that go so it's for the best <laughs> So this is something interesting that you brought up to me that I didn't know. So part of my frustration in all of this stuff, because as we've said, you know, I tend to walk the fence and I my my preference is unity between people Mm -hmm. over pointing my finger and saying you're wrong. I'm right. That stuff doesn't interest me as much as unity. And so I find that when I'm sitting over here and I'm not overly invested in the minutia of a single topic, I pull out. Even when that topic is something as colossal as the salvation of your soul. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I pull back to, you know, 10,000 feet and looking at it and it looks to me like people more often than not 
argue over semantics. And though I know sometimes it's important, you can sit there and go like, boy, if you guys just like stopped and looked at yourself a little bit, you'd find that you have more in common than not. Or that you're really just arguing over a couple of words and the principle or the intent of the message both of them are the same, but you're just saying, you know, this one the in there shouldn't be in there. And so we're all fighting over it. <laughs> and then you yeah. kind of brought up that at some point, Catholics and some of the Protestant groups have actually met up to discuss that kind of same principle. Yeah. So, I mean, I am speaking specifically about like the American churches and communities on this. There have been some branching outs from there, but the ones that I'm most familiar with. So like back in 1983, U.S. Catholic leaderships, including some bishops and uh, other clergy and then like well-known theologians and thinkers met up with some prominent Lutheran leadership, basically realizing that over the course of the centuries, there's been a lot of talk about, well, they believe this or they believe that. And not actually like sitting down and talking about, wait a minute, what does this actually mean? And I think a big part of what led to this is that there were enough people who had converted to one from the other who were knowledgeable still about it. Yeah, they kind of go back and forth. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, so no, I'm Catholic now instead of Lutheran. But you got to understand, even when I was Lutheran, what you're saying the Lutheran church taught was never how they actually did it. Right. And so they had this conference in 1983, and they managed to hammer out kind of 12 key points of agreement. There was a a statement that was issued, a a joint statement issued by them. It was like 60 pages long, but kind of the summary, the conclusion of it. I don't think that constitutes a statement. (laughs) That's... That's well, so you've got to understand, you've got a bunch of theologians gathered <laughs> together. That's what happens. Like, I feel like a statement but, is one sentence. Maybe a no. comma, maybe a semicolon in there somewhere. Like, that's a statement. No, 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 my friend. This is <laughs> this this is an in-depth university level. Like, this is a thesis statement. Okay, um, all but right, I can get ultimately, that. they said. It is also it is stated in the view of the convergence is achieved the remaining theological differences about the doctrine of justification, though serious, need not be considered church dividing. In other words, like no, no, we're we're not saying the same thing. Uh, we've got some different perspectives on it and all of that, and those differences still exist, and they are, you know, some serious questions that remain to be answered. But there's nothing. In either church's view, there's nothing about the the other church's perspective on it that would be a threat to salvation. There's nothing that right. would – it's like, okay, you know what? We disagree about these things, but none of those are uh, heavenly deal breakers, right? for lack of a better way to put it. Like, right. I like that. You, and that one, like I said, there was some, some spillover. The German Catholic and Lutheran leadership, after seeing that, decided to hold a similar conference. And again, I don't know the details of that, but it happened a couple years later in 1985. And then, like I mentioned to you, so I knew about a conference where these conversations had happened, 
But basically what I had done was I had combined half knowledge of two separate conferences because <laughs> I remembered that there was one in the late 90s and I remembered that there was one with the Lutherans and I thought they were the same one. And I was sorely mistaken because it turns out in the late 90s, in 1997, they did one between some of the evangelical leadership and some Catholic thinkers. Like this one was not by any stretch an official statement from either church. It was just kind of some leading thinkers getting together to discuss it. And so I don't know. I didn't recognize a lot of the names in the evangelical side because I've never been particularly invested or involved in the evangelical side. But uh, one of my modern kind of heroes intellectually in the Catholic church, uh, Peter Kreeft, professor at at Boston College, was one of the Catholic representatives. And he is a convert from, I believe he was raised Calvinist and came into the church later on in life. And ultimately they came to the conclusion that the vast majority of the differences in the teachings about justification and salvation, what was necessary in terms of the relationship between faith and works was largely just a matter of phrasing, kind of like you were saying earlier, where it was, you know what, honestly, which specific words we're using those are different. But when we look at what we mean and trying to clarify it, as we go through these questions of, wait, when you say that, it sounds like you're saying this. Well, no, that's that's not what we mean. We mean something more like this. It came down to, oh, yeah, that's that's basically what we say. Right. Because, I mean, it's hard when you're talking about some of these principles. They mm-hmm. are so big and, and intangible. So when you use language, you're going to use the best language you can, but you're going to, it's going to break down no matter what. There's always going to be a flaw in your language imply something else, you know, just like a lawyer looks for where the thes and the commas are to try to create a loophole. I mean, there's that kind of. Well, and it's also similar to when you're talking about things with law, it's also just not language that is part of our sort of everyday vernacular. Right. Or we'll use words from that everyday vernacular, but we mean them in a very specific way, in a very specific context. And because they're used equivocally in other ways, there's all these other preconceptions about what this word means that gets in the way of what we're actually trying to say. Right, right. And a lot of it is kind of cultural, like just that idea of you become used to hearing things explained a certain way. And then even when it's the, the same words, but they mean something different, you end up with a lot of parallel conversations, right? Right. Where both sides think they're talking with the other person, but at the end of it, they leave with completely different understandings of even what the conversation was, let alone their individual points in them. Right. I kind of laughed when you mentioned that the converts saying, well, you know, that's not what they actually believe. It, it's funny how often we and I guess I'm going to wrap this up in my life lesson here is that it's, okay, sounds good. it's funny how often we will hear something, read something and then assume that that's what they believe. Right. Even if you think that's yeah. a book. So like that's our current pop culture's uh, headline news where nobody actually does any news reporting. They just kind of give this headline and then everybody runs with those headlines and it's this giant telephone game and nobody yeah. ends up with the actual information. I had a, an atheist friend of mine who, you know, was reading all of these books written by atheists about religion and all of his stuff that he was talking about. And I'm like, dude, you, you don't you don't get it because you haven't read any religious books like everything that you've read is about atheists talking about religion and all of mm-hmm. them have this certain perspective. So you're like slowly making your way way off course. Like we're not even on the same plane anymore because 
you haven't gotten the actual perspective of that person and what they actually believe. You have what that person thinks the other person believes. So, you know, you really got to hear the other side. You have to listen and empathize and really try to grasp what they're saying. And if you don't understand, ask questions so that when you speak, you're not speaking in generalizations and assumptions, but actually mm-hmm. addressing what is real. Right. And I think so, like my life lesson kind of takeaway on this one is going to kind of build on that. The importance of like sitting down and talking with someone from what appears to be the opposing side. So if I were to sit down and read a book written by an evangelical preacher, now, theoretically, I'm giving him his time. I'm listening to what he has to say. I'm trying to understand his perspective. But the whole time I'm reading it, I'm already reading it from my own perspective. Like I can't get separated from that. And so I need to be talking to someone that way when I say something where I'm like, oh, so I get it. When he says this, this is what he's talking about. Someone else could be like, no, 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 no. That's you. What we're actually saying is this. And so that, that kind of clarity and clarification, I think is a huge, huge piece. Plus it's just, the book will never be the fullness because they're not able to respond in conversation to your specific questions and those kinds of things. There's just so much more gained by having meaningful, an actual human, a human interaction. Yeah. Cause a book never actually responds to you. You're in complete control of that conversation. And so your perspective, your bias is still going to dominate. So get out, talk to some people who disagree with you, get the answers from them. Love it. Love it. And then when we open our brick and mortar, hopefully we'll be hosting many of those conversations. Absolutely. That's the goal. That's the dream. Oh, all right, man. That was good. I liked it. I think it's an important topic. I think the misconceptions out are out there that everybody's different and everybody's separate, but I think we'll find that we are more oftentimes aligned than not. So you got anything on your brain? Oh, lots of stuff, but none of it that has anything to do with what we've been talking about so far. That's reasonable. It's it's last week was parent teacher conferences and so oh, having to get back into a normal school week has just been kind of wait, I need to get caught up on this, this and this, but no. Yeah. Life's pretty good. Yeah, when you mess up routines, man, it's hard to get back into that grind. Uh hundred percent. But it's worth it. Get back in that routine. All right. All right, brother. All right, man. I guess with that we'll say Adieu. edit out some long awkward pause as i flip dun 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 dun